0: Good morning, it's good to be here, let's figure out where to put this, maybe not right in the sunlight, (laughs) feels like sunlight. So, three points that I'd like to cover today, and I'll just kind of enumerate them, then we're going to pray and and dive in and pray for me because if I'm speaking today, you aren't going to get anything. If God anoints his word, we'll be blessed with something. Let's even pray before I go into those three things. We need prayer. God, come upon us, we pray. Thank you that we can meet here today with other believers. Uh, Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the time of worship. Thank you for who you are. You're alive. You're real. The song this morning, uh, the lion, you're roaring with power. I think we forget that. And we try to take so many things on ourselves and forget to go to the one person that can solve things for us. Bless your word, Lord. I have nothing of my own. Speak through us to us. I pray, O oh God, in Your name. Amen. So, the three points that we're going to want to uh, delve into, we want to talk a bit about prayer, and we want to briefly at least talk about spiritual checkpoints. And, and as this kind of weaves into the message, I think you'll see why this is very important—the spiritual roadblocks and checkpoints that God throws up in our lives. Um, very important. And then we want to go into, as we look at prayer, the fellowship aspect. Prayer is a very important part of approaching God and being able to receive from God. So as I was thinking this morning, I don't know, you were kind of emotional there at the end, and I was like, wow, I wonder what God's doing, because I was over here as we were singing, and I kept, I was like wanting to wipe tears away as I was thinking just about different things with with God and who He is and and how much she loves us, and what He does, and we're so forgetful. Um, my goodness, I know I forget so much. Uh, we had a prayer meeting. It was it was awesome Thursday night at our house. Uh, most of our of our home group, for one reason or another, were not able to make it. Phil and Holly came, and you know, the four of us just sat around the dinner table, and we talked, and it was really interesting because the Lord really led us to talk about. Kind of a lot of spiritual things. And, and uh, if I might just be so bold and, and to say this, Phil has... We have a lot of unique giftings in this in this church. We're not a great big church. But in this small group that we are, we have a lot of very unique giftings. Um, and Phil, one of his giftings, and I think he has probably a number more, but the Lord gives him prophetic dreams very, very often. And he was sharing dream after dream with us uh, and then how they came to pass. And, and and oftentimes the Lord shows some things so that they can be praying about specific things that are getting ready to happen. Sometimes maybe they're a warning or maybe somebody's about to go through a time of suffering and God's showing them this and they're praying and they really blessed us. And then we ended, as we were having this conversation, we ended, the four of us, with a very just really awesome time of prayer. We really took a lot of things. We really believe that we've all been under a lot of attack, and we really just took that before God and uh, really felt like God was leading and had us there for a reason specifically to pray and go before uh, the throne of God and seek his face. So prayer is, and so I want to tell you, if, if Phil ever tells you, this one thing we were talking about, he, he, these dreams are so accurate. If Phil ever tells you he's had a dream, listen, <laughs> pay attention. God's talking. God can talk in so many ways. And some people, he, he uses dreams. And uh, we're really blessed. And thank you, Phil, for being open to letting the Lord use you in that. And pray that he continues and that we can be blessed through that gifting. So prayer, you know, as we think about prayer, uh, let me go back to the beginning a little bit. God created us. If you look in the garden, uh, the Garden of Eden, before the fall. Remember, right after the fall, God was coming to do what He liked to do with His first two people, and what He wants to do with us. He came to spend some time. He wanted to hang out and have this friendship, this communication, this relationship with Adam and Eve. And at this point. He finds them fallen. They've, 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 you know, listened to the serpent. They've made the fatal mistake that we all suffer from today. Uh, every generation has. We're born in, in sin. Uh, we have this corrupt nature. And, but in the beginning, it was all about being in a relationship with God and getting saved. Uh, what Jesus came to do, dying on the cross, was to restore us to a relationship with God. And it's really all about that. And prayer, how often and how long do we go suffering in problems and situations before we finally cry out to God for help? I've really been challenged lately to start really praying about a lot of things. If there's an issue, if I have a question, if, if uh, maybe I know God's wanting to do something, but there's no progress, no movement, there's a roadblock, start praying. Praying about it. Really cry out to God. You know, the scripture says, God's speaking, I think it's in one of the Psalms, cry out to me in the day of trouble. I will answer you. I will deliver you. I'll show up for you. According to your faith, so be it. Now, if you don't have faith for that, and you don't believe God's going to show up for you, maybe that's the starting point. Maybe start praying for some faith. Maybe start praying that God would... Come upon you to believe that he wants to be there for you. Believe that he wants to show up. And, you know, we're going to look at a couple examples and talk about a couple examples that are pretty amazing things that God did for his people in answer to prayer. And if you've walked with the Lord for any number of years, you've probably got some stories that are just probably pretty much as amazing, really, if you think about it. That God has done for, I know Phil and Holly, you guys have shared stories with us of prayers that God has answered that are absolutely amazing what God has done. I know Jim and Fran, you could tell us so many stories of what God has done uh, in answer to prayer. And you know, there's another side of this I want to just briefly mention. And that is sometimes, okay, we love, we love it when God does great, powerful, mighty, wonderful things. Sometimes we have to suffer though. Sometimes there are, things that we are just ordained that we have to go through, like Jesus going to the cross. Remember, he kept praying, God, if there's no way for this cup to pass unless I drink it, your will be done. There will be things in our lives that we have to suffer, trials that we have to go through, and the only way they'll pass is if we drink the cup. Prayer is even important then. Maybe, maybe the cup is not going to pass, just like Jesus in the cross, but as he was in the garden, praying so intently he was dripping it says blood was sweat drops of blood the prayer was so intense and the battle was so severe what happens it says one of the uh, one of the writers accounts that an angel appeared from heaven strengthening him he had to get through the cross the toughest thing he was ever going to do and it was not going to pass from him he had to drink the cup and you know the battle was won in very very serious prayer in that case the ability to go through something that is just absolutely would would be horrendous to have to go through but he had the power of god to go through it so let's um let's there's just there's so many stories in the scriptures of amazing things that god did for his people uh, King Asa. If you ever, ever read the books of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, those are some. There's a lot of, uh, of kind of some chapters that are downers when you get to the kings that were God haters and they drug the nation down and, and brought judgment on the nation. But there was also a lot of stories of faithful, very godly kings that brought the nation up, and they were set situations. King Asa, for example, you can learn a lot from him. There was a case when an, an army invaded the country with a one-million-man army. Now, even in today's world, an army of a million people, that's big. That's a problem. That's something to make you shake in your boots. And on that occasion, he got it right. He cried out to God. God sent a prophet and said, God has heard your prayer, and God did some crazy Miraculous things. And this army was defeated and they were saved later on in his years. He forgot all about that somehow. He had another similar situation and he relied 100 percent on his own reasoning, his his own abilities, his own strength, his own strategies, fixed the problem. And then God sends a prophet to him and says, why did you do that? Why did you not come to me? Why did you not rely on God? This is not good. You did not do it right. And now you're going to actually going to have wars from now on because I'm very displeased with, with your approach to this. You were supposed to take this to me and let me fight this battle for you. You know and how often the Bible says that all these stories in the Old Testament were written for us. They happened for our examples, they were written for us so that we could learn. How often have I done exactly what Asa did later in life? Oh, I've got my stories where I did what he did the first time. I've got so many stories where I did what he did the second time. Problem comes, and man, I go to work fixing it. So on that note, let's go to, uh, let's look at a little bit at the story of, of one of Hezekiah's, King Hezekiah's biggest challenges that he ever had to face. He had more too, but this one was pretty big. Isaiah chapter 36, if you could put that up on the screen. So, uh, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Now, as you go down through with the great army, there you go, not good. And as you read through this whole chapter, what happens in this chapter is this guy, he's got the officials of Israel, uh, of, of um, Judah up on the wall. And these guys are spouting out propaganda and they are smart. They've got their intelligence. They know what, what King Hezekiah has done. They know what's gone on, how he's prepared. For war. They know they know details that they can only know by having very good intelligence. They mock his trust in God. They twist things around. They said, King Hezekiah is telling you to trust in God. Isn't it God's altars that he's torn down? And they're mocking and taunting. No, it was the, uh, the altars of the false gods that he had torn down. But they twist this and, uh, and they, 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 they talk and talk about all the great battles they've already won. Not a single kingdom has been able to stand against this army. Nobody has stood against them. Everywhere they go, they win. So, go. you can skip now to chapter 37, verses 1 through 4. And let's look what happens there. After this whole thing, they're done with their... Their words, their propaganda, this great speech that they give to shake them up and make them worried and concerned. Um, let's see here. If you can scroll down. Um, it's okay. Let me jump here on my phone and I'll pull it up here. Let's see here. Because I'm not getting to the beginning of it there. So Isaiah... We want 37. Come on, phone. There we go. Now, this was Hezekiah's response. And I love this because he had the response that King Asa had that first time around. Here's what he does As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes. Now, I've never torn my clothes. I felt like it. I felt like pulling my hair out. Uh, That happens at work almost every day. Um, And uh, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. This was his first and immediate response. Didn't go to his own abilities, his own way out. He goes into the house of the Lord. And he does one other thing. He's going and he's sending for, for for people to help him in prayer. It says and he sent him who was over the household and Shebna the secretary and the senior priest covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos. They said to him Thus says Hezekiah This day is a day of distress of rebuke and of disgrace children have come to the point of birth and there's no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshaka, whom his master, the king of Syria, has sent to mock the living God and re- will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, please pray. Lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah, they come to Isaiah. And this is the word of the Lord. I don't think we even have this on the slide, but this is what Isaiah says. He has a word from God. He says, say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the young men of King Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Now, remember this prophecy. I'm going to make him return and he will fall by the sword in his own land. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Livnith, for he had heard. Here's this rumor. Just like God said that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning uh, so on and so forth. He goes through. We don't need to read all that. But you know what he does at this point? First part of God's prophecy has happened. He's left. Now he sends a letter of fear again to Hezekiah. Don't get so confident just because I've left. I've only left temporarily. I'm coming back. Your God will not deliver you. This city will fall. I will take it. Be ready. I'm coming back. This is the letter that he gets back from from the king of Assyria. Now, I like it. Second challenge in the same battle he's facing. He has the same response again. The right response. Verse 14. You can go ahead and put that up if you've got it. It says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers. He reads it. And then what does he do? Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord. He opens up the letter, it says, and he spreads it out before God. And he starts praying. And the prayer is recorded. He prays this awesome, amazing prayer God, we need your help. God, look at this. Look at this letter, God. You see what he says, you see what he's written. You see his threats. God, I pray and he cries out to God and, and just cries out for help again. And then once again, God gives another prophetic word to Isaiah. And Isaiah sends um, to Hezekiah. And here's what God says. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Syria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. And he gives this whole, this whole prophetic thing and kind of almost in poetic, like psalm-like form of how God is going to destroy him. And God ends by saying this. The Lord, This is what the Lord says concerning the king of Syria. He shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way he came, by the same he shall return. He shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it. And then the chapter ends with these simple statements. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people rose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home. Defeated, lived at Nineveh. The Bible doesn't mention the time frame years later. It was 20 years later, as he was worshiping the house. Of, and for 20 years, he does not return. And then the last part of the prophecy happened. His own sons kill him and take over the kingdom. Everything that God said was going to happen, happens. And God saves his people. Now, the scripture is full, full of these kind of stories. And God so often talks to his people and says things like, My hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Cry to me in the day of trouble. After Asa had that first good experience of seeking the Lord in his troubles, the prophet comes to him and says this, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Put that in regular English. I'm, God's saying, I'm just looking for opportunities to show up. But you've got to give them to me. You've got to bring the stuff to me. You've got to cry out to me. I'm just waiting for you to cry out to me. So why don't we? It's because we don't think he will. We don't think he'll show up. What is it? What's your reason? You know what? I remember, and I'm, I've, I've had plenty of times since then where I've made the mistake and done Asa's second path. but so often I re- get reminded of this of this story, what was Hezekiah's in, in, in both instances? What was his first response? Go into the house of God, get on his knees and cry out to God. That should always and it's not that God won't show you things you should do after the fact. probably will. Cry out to him. Give him a chance to show up. Get him involved. He may tell you things you need. There may be some acts of obedience he tells you to do. Get him involved. It's all about him. You see, we we could have been created like the angels. The Bible talks about how the angels are so much more mighty, so much more powerful than us. But we weren't created like the angels. The Bible refers to us as dust dust. You know, I like that song. What's uh, dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. That is so true. It's all we are. And we're so weak. I think the longer I'm around, the more aware I become of how desperately weak I am. And that's a good thing. It's a good place to get to if you're a Christian, because God is so strong. Okay. So here's the thing. God never, God, when he created us, he created us weak on purpose. There's a day coming where we're going to be strong. And we can be strong in the Lord now. That's, a, that's an internal thing, and we need to be strong in the Lord. But as far as the fleshly bodies are concerned, we're very, very weak. Oh my goodness, we're so weak. Slightest little thing, and we can be in, in the ER. Get hit by a truck, your dad, your funerals that weekend. We are so weak, it's pathetic how weak we are. But God did this on purpose. Paul says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power will be of God, not of us. If you realize this, you can start to live your Christian life differently. Just embrace it. It's how you were created, weak, on purpose, so that God could be your strength. God could be your savior. God could be your solution maker. So, now we want to talk about the second piece here, which is the checkpoint. Now, to do that, you can find it in so many places in the Scripture. It's all over the place. But the concept is simply this, and it all ties into what we're, what we're getting at here. concept is this. If you're a child, uh, the writer of Hebrews said, you will go through chastening, discipline. And if you go through a period of discipline... Remember, he says, be encouraged, actually. Don't be discouraged. It's because God loves you. It means you're God's child. He wouldn't discipline you. You know, it's it's pretty rare that you would discipline someone else's child. There are cases where you might. But typically, the children you would discipline are going to be your children, right? That's kind of how it works. Uh, you may ground. You may do some spanking, whatever it is. Uh, but you're going to do... There's going to be discipline. It's just the way you grew up. It's how I grew up. Uh, We raised our kids. Uh, They're raising, Stephen and Melissa are raising Lincoln down. Discipline is just part, I mean, discipline is even in the workplace. If you step out of line, guess what? You get slapped, don't you? You might get written up. Uh, If you speed, you're going to get slapped. There's the policeman just waiting there to write you that nice little ticket. It's just part of life. Discipline is part of life. But Remember, if you come into a time of discipline, the writer of Hebrews says, be excited, be encouraged. It means God loves you, and it means you're his child. If God didn't discipline you, it means you were a bastard. Now, that's using the old King James. It, I think the writers, they said, yeah, that sounds a little bit wrong today, doesn't it? Uh, it means you're illegitimate, and there come the lights. Yay. Let's talk about Moses. So you've got Moses. If you read the story, if you want to put up on the screen uh, that verse... And you're going to wonder, what the heck is, is this verse in even the Bible? And why are we looking at this verse today? It'll tie in. You'll see. Let's, let's read this because this is just crazy. But to get, this is uh, Exodus. You know what? Um, yes, thank you. So to get the context of this, the angel of the Lord shows up to kill Moses. That's what this passage says. The angel of the Lord shows up, and the angel is going to kill Moses. Now, the timing of this is Moses, he's gone through the whole thing, okay, of of growing up in in Egypt, uh, having to escape Egypt for his life, 40 years in the desert, 40 years in the desert of preparation, and then the burning burning bush happens. Okay, if you go backward from these verses, the burning bush has happened. Moses now gets his full-on call. And as you read the chapter and a half before this, God is telling him the amazing things. The, God, God is going to use this man, Moses, like, like nobody's ever been used. Before we read this, um, do I have this one on here? I think we have it on here somewhere. Um, maybe, I, maybe, uh, maybe I don't. I thought I had it on here. But if you go to the, to the book of Deuteronomy, some of a couple of the last verses. It says this, there was, before Moses and after Moses, there was never a prophet like him. Thank you, it is in there. There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. Moses, guys, is a name to this day. There's not too many people, unless they've never been churched at all in their lives, but even then they've probably seen Moses in some of the movies that Hollywood has made. There's never been a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants. There's never anybody before or after that God used quite like Moses. Go back to that verse now where This is just the crisis. God has called them. The burning bush has happened. Moses has had the whole argument with, maybe you should send Aaron. I don't think I can do it. God says, no, I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what to say. You're going to have the ability to do all these signs and wonders. And then so, okay, great. Now they're off. They're literally now him and his wife are heading to Egypt in obedience to God. And this right here, these verses are inserted. He's on his way to Egypt after this greatest calling you could ever receive. (laughs) At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What the heck? He just received the call. <laughs> then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with him and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Now, the wife was. Now, what, what the heck is this all about? These are crazy verses. So he let him go. God lets Moses go. Now, we're going to talk about what the, uh, um, what the significance of this is. It's absolutely insane unless you understand things and look at the whole context of Scripture. Moses was getting dealt with like a son here, severely. Think about the context. Moses has been called to be like the greatest prophet that ever was going to be in Israel and yet he had never obeyed God in the very simplest, most basic command that God had given the Israelites to do, which is to circumcise their sons. He, maybe because of the influence of his wife, from the sounds of it, his wife wanted nothing to do with what God had commanded. And Moses probably let it slip. He probably listened to the concern of his wife in this case. And it almost cost Moses his life, and he never would have been the prophet that God called him to be. Now, what, what did this look like? Was, was Moses maybe going on ahead? You know, sometimes in those cultures, you read stories that men went on ahead as they were traveling. And the women were behind. And all of a sudden, uh, the wife looks up. And there's Moses having this fight and wrestling match and a fight with this other guy. It was probably like a Theophanies where God appeared in the flesh. He did that uh, on occasion in the Old Testament. One of these persons is winning and one of them is losing and the person that's winning is not Moses. Moses is in trouble. Now that you stand back and watch this and Moses realizes what is going on, comes back and says, Zipporah, we have to obey God. We may have this call. It don't matter if we don't obey God. He isn't even going to let us get to Egypt. I'll die if I go past this. He is standing there and he will not, not let me go any further. And they finally obey in this most basic way. Or did Moses, maybe she didn't get to watch it. Maybe he comes back with two black eyes and a bloody nose. All beat to pulp and says, God just beat the crap out of me. (laughs) And if we don't obey, this whole thing that he's called us to, it ain't happening. The point is, this is a pretty dramatic story, but you know what if you 've been a Christian for a while, you probably have stories where God took you to the woodshed, and it was pretty painful i 'll tell you what my wife has taken to doing i don 't know how many times she 's gotten in my face and said, "Will you get it right don 't disobey god again it 's too painful for me. You punish everybody around you when you disobey, and you know what she 's true i have been t- I have been not Physically, but spiritually and in my circumstances had the crap beat out of me by God multiple times because I was getting it wrong and I wasn't obeying in some way. And he puts up a check. I've had times I can tell you, many times God's put up a roadblock and said, no more. You're done. Stop. You got to get this right. You got to get this right. I've been patient, but you got to get this right. Then you can move forward. So Moses and his wife, they finally obey. And then that's done and over with. They go on and Moses becomes the greatest prophet ever. So if God puts up a roadblock to you, and he will. If you're his child, he will. He'll stop you at various points and say, enough. What is this thing you're doing? You know this is wrong. Or maybe I've just shown you it's wrong. Stop. Get it right. Get it right. Now, had Moses not accepted the chastening of God, he wouldn't have got to go on and be what God had called him to be. We'd all be shortchanged today because of it. But he got it right. He listened. Now from there, let's, let's go and let's look at one of the really cool things. This gets us into hearing from God. ah, uh, So, I don't know what it is in my notes this morning. I had all these written out, but I can't find any for the life of me. I wrote them all. The one where the cloud comes down and Moses talks to, uh, God speaks with Moses as a friend. Do you have that one pulled up there? I actually took them right off of this sheet and sent them so they could do the deals. But you think I can find them this morning? Thank you. I think that sounds right. There it is. Now I see it. Now this, guys, was Moses' regular experience with God. Now, in that time frame, you could actually, I mean, it was a little bit more visual. There was a cloud above the tabernacle, fire at night. We don't have that today, but we have kind of the same experience through the Spirit. Look what Moses' experience was. Now, Moses used to take the tent, pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the Tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And then, thank you. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, this, this is really a, a mystery to me, because it, if anybody wanted to seek the Lord, could, could go out there. But it only mentions two, and it just says everybody else would stand and watch this happen. Moses went out the tent. All the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he got in the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the, uh, at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship. Hey, at least they were doing some of that. Those, you know, as you know the story of them, they, were, they had some issues. Uh, there was a few people in Israel at that time that I think really knew God, but a lot of them had some issues. They, they maybe weren't all the way there. But uh, in one of the uh, verses, I don't know if we got that one up there, it says that God would speak to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks to his friend. And then it mentions that Joshua would go out there. Joshua is one of the people that go out there and hang out with God. Now, here's the thing with, with you and our relationship with God. And people, we talk about humanity and God. God is all about showing up for us. God is all about being our friend. But you know what he says? Basically, if you put in today's English, he wants us to want it. He's not interested in a friendship with us if we don't want it. Cry out to me. He says things like this. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. A lot of times we don't find Him because it's not what we really want. We want other things. We don't necessarily want God with all of our hearts. Is God such, is it so important to you to seek God that you can say you want him with all your heart and you seek him that way? If you do, he says, I'll be found by you. You seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Another verse says this, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. That's what Moses would do. He would draw near to God. God would draw near to him. Now, there's, there's um, put up just briefly, types of prayer. That slide, please. Let's talk about that briefly. Sorry? That's okay. Types of prayer. Praise, thanksgiving, worship, petition, or prayers of faith. Prayer of repentance. We talk about that checkpoint. Sometimes a prayer of repentance is the most important prayer we can do. God, I have sinned. God, I made a mistake. God, I'm in the wrong. God, I need to change. Intercession. And then there's a lot of other prayers, and this is not a complete list by any, uh, by any means. Prayers of agreement, prayers of binding, prayers against the enemies of God, and I think you would probably add quite a few more things to that. But I like, one of the things that I really think we need is just a prayer of, of seeking the face of God. You know, the, the medium, there's, do you have the slide of ways that God speaks? Okay, all good. So, different ways that God can speak to us. He can speak through the word in general. Moses, the prophets, Jesus, all the New Testaments. He can speak in general through scripture. He speaks through nature, through creation. Uh, he speaks to us a lot of times through other believers. Uh, he speaks to us through the pulpit. Uh, He speaks through through music. Circumstances. Sometimes a roadblock can be your circumstances. Sometimes God just throws up circumstances to get your attention. And you find yourself beating your head against the wall. Maybe step back and say, God, are you trying to tell me something? Is there something you're trying to tell me here? What am I missing? What am I missing? Circumstances. He can speak through the Spirit. Maybe just all of a sudden he just... I don't know how it happens. He just does. He speaks through the Spirit, and you understand something that God was telling you. Uh, He can speak through dreams, speak through visions. He can speak through peace or the lack of peace. Sometimes God reveals his will that way. And one of the ways that I think is really important that we get a hold of, they're all good, but on a day-to-day basis, probably one of the I think it's, it's just an easy to lay hold of way to be regularly in communion with God is prayer and the Word, and they, and they kind of meld together. Let me ask you this How do you read the Scriptures? What's your approach to reading the Scriptures? Um, if you don't do it with a lot of prayer, probably not going to be real blessed. If you do it as a chore, not going to be real blessed. Is it just a religious duty? You're not going to get much out of it. If you aren't seeking God with all your heart, not going to get much out of it. It's going to be dry. It's going to be dead. You're going to be like, what am I wasting my time for? But if you take King David's approach, He has Psalms 119 where he talks about the word. The whole book is about the word of God and what a blessing it was to him. He says things like this. He's crying out to God and he's showing you one of his prayers that made fellowship with God real for him. He says, God, open my eyes so that I can see wonderful things out of your law. Open my eyes. You see, you should, every one of us, should be having, I, I think it can be a daily thing, I really do, where we have an encounter with God just like Moses did. He is our life. The word of God is meant to be like bread. Jesus' presence is meant to be like bread, like water. This is a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you, because this world is dry, desolate. It's, it's empty. So you've got to incorporate Prayer when you when you incorporate prayer. I remember when I finally, uh, as a young man, got serious about God, started seeking God. I didn't know a lot of a lot of things, but I got into the Word, and and uh, it's a whole other topic. But one of the things I started doing was basically a method of doing that, and began really. I wanted to. I went from being an uninterested Christian to a very interested and becoming starting to become a passionate Christian, and passionate about seeking God. And I started, I started approaching the scripture every day with, I'm going to get something. I'm not leaving empty-handed. I'm going to go out of this place with something that's going to really bless me. And when I started approaching it that way and looking, and it doesn't matter whether you read a chapter, two, three chapters, or you read this much. You go in there just looking for a blessing from God. All of a sudden, what you find starts to happen. In my experience, was, the Holy Spirit takes the written word and it becomes the living word pierces right to your heart and you go out going, I mean, the first the first few months of this, I didn't really even understand what was going on. Um, I just knew that those days were it was like three or four days a week at that point were really special. Remember when on the road to Emmaus, when the disciples, their eyes were held back so they didn't know it was Jesus? But after the fact, and they realized they'd been walking and talking with Jesus, they went, well, yeah, of course, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was talking to us? And this is what was happening on those mornings. Your heart is just burning. It's like, wow. Oh, my God. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's life. It's water. And we were in a little Bible study where they were trying to get people doing this sort of thing and seeking God and finding him. And one of the ladies in the Bible study said, you know, since we've been doing this, she says, I've been hearing from God every day. And it clicked at that point. I went, that's what it is. I've been hearing from God. I didn't even know that's what it was. I couldn't have put that term on it. And right then I started praying. I said, Lord, it's not fair. She hears every day. I'm only hearing three or four days a week. So starting now, Lord, I want to hear every day. And, you know, the Lord was happy to answer that prayer. And moving forward, it became an everyday thing. Unless I don't seek him with all my heart. If I go in there half-hearted, I might leave empty. That's that's no fun. It's kind of it's kind of a waste. It's it's just a waste. So my challenge, that's it, that's the message. God's real. We weren't meant to live on our own. We weren't. That's not what God created. You have a problem. Take it to God. When God throws up a roadblock, listen. Be zealous, therefore, to repent, one of the scriptures says. Be zealous, therefore, to repent. At times, that's the most important thing we can do, is just repent. Get things right. And then, you know what? Seek God with all your heart and have a passionate relationship with him and have life from God minister to you on a regular basis because it is so helpful And so many things. God bless you.